Hello, and welcome to Modern Animism Radio. This is Laura Giles, your host and co-founder of Pan Society. I've got some feedback here about sovereignty that helps me to see a problem. So here's what's going on. We have a lot of information on the blog, podcast, and YouTube channel about sovereignty, which just means acting as a free individual, taking responsibility for what's yours, and choosing your own life path. So we've covered that. The question that I have leads me to understand that some of you aren't sure who you are. You can't be yourself if you don't know yourself. My suggestion for practicing modern animism is to do things in a particular order so that you have a strong foundation. That's know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself, which is, of course, connecting. When you do that, there is a sweet spot in the middle that's oneness. You don't have to do anything to get there. It just happens. Anyway, today we're going to talk about that first step of that whole process, so know yourself. First, let's give gratitude to the first ancestors, the elements. From time to time, I pause to explain why for new listeners. So gratitude is a way of seeing what's good in life, acknowledging it so that it continues to show up. The elements are in everything. They're the building blocks of everything. The ancestors are the building blocks of you. So when we say thanks, I see you, I appreciate you, it opens the door to that relationship and helps us to keep that love and support flowing. It taps into that creative energy that's in all of us. So acknowledge the element of earth and ask that you bring a safety, stability, and security so that the things we desire can take shape, find form in the material world. I give gratitude to the earth for the food that you supply and the home where we live. I acknowledge the element of air and ask that you bring us wisdom, creativity, and intelligence to discern when something is right for us or not. I give gratitude to the air for providing us with the oxygen that we breathe. I acknowledge the element of fire to help stir our passions in positive, connecting ways and give us the will to see our ideas through. I acknowledge the element of water and give thanks for keeping us flowing in the rhythm of life. I give thanks to the water for the life-giving properties that it brings to all creatures. I give gratitude to the loving, helping human ancestors for all the support that you provide for us that we see and don't see. Thank you to our listeners for listening sharing, and liking us on social media. Definitely helps to get out the word about modern animism, so we appreciate that that so much. And if you have donated or would like to donate, thank you for that too. Our show um, is volunteer-run. It's donation-supported. So without you, we don't really have a show. If you'd like to support, you can donate at our website at www.pansociety.net. There's a donate button at the bottom of the page. And every dollar goes directly to continuing our mission. So who are you? If you don't know, why don't you know? Um, There are some possible reasons for this that may or may not fit you, but it sometimes helps to know so that you can fix it. One of these reasons is that in dysfunctional families, there is this role called the lost child. And this is often the middle or third child. And when he or she was little, the survival strategy to... um, function in this dysfunctional family was to hide or be invisible. Maybe he already had a sibling who was an academic or athletic star. There was probably already a problem child, so the only role left was to be invisible, to not make waves, and to stay to himself. So he may appear fine because, you know, it doesn't look, it's not a troublemaker, but um, that's often 
deceptive. So the inside might be different than the outside. And this person can seem to be not bothered by things, but that's often because they didn't develop great social or communication skills. It's more of a thing that they aren't in touch with their feelings and are withdrawn rather than life is okay. Another scenario that leads to not knowing who you are or what you want is when you're the peacemaker. And in this role, you survive by making things better for other people. So you're always looking outside of yourself to see how everybody else is doing. If they're okay, you're okay. And if they like something, you like something. So, for example, if you've ever been with someone who responds to what do you want to do with, I don't know, what do you want to do? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, it's okay to be um, generous like that and allow the other person to go first and make the choices. But if you do that habitually, then you might be a peacemaker who doesn't know who they are. Um, if, yeah, another way of kind of cluing that in is just kind of ask yourself, what do you want? What do you like? And if you don't know, you could be a peacemaker. <laughs> Um, not knowing who you are can also just happen because you grew up in a domineering family. So your parents told you who you were and you didn't, they didn't give you space to figure it out or to be anything different from what you wanted to be. But in a normal, healthy family, you know, that is how it is. When you're little, your parents tell you what to do and how to do it, and they kind of project an identity on you. And then as you get older and you start hanging out with kids, you go to school, then you start to see, oh, I have options here. And then... Um, the the kids who are, tend to be rebellious tend to be the ones that have a have um, restrictions, and they can be overt or covert. Like um, and and that's why they have to rebel. If it was easy to differentiate, you wouldn't have to rebel. You'd have permission. So if you had to do well in school, be a great athlete, enter a certain profession, look a certain way, do certain things in order to be accepted, you might have that type of family. If you didn't fit the mold and you're criticized or ostracized, there might have been lots of pressures to conform. And so you didn't develop that idea of who am I just because there wasn't any space to do that, no freedom. And then there's uh, just a scenario of being too busy with survival or being part of a couple that you neglect yourself and don't check in. So survival usually probably more if you were born into a really poor family and just eating every day was was a chore. You don't you don't have the luxury of figuring out what you like and what you don't like. You're just it's too, you're too busy. But if it's a thing of like you have kids and you're just busy taking care of kids, changing diapers, getting through the day, that kind of thing, you everything changes. So maybe you don't notice that that you aren't who you were. So in your mind, you're this skinny 25-year-old who's very exciting, but then in reality, you look in the mirror and that's not who you see at all because um, you're just not keeping in touch with the changes that are happening. So today, I'm going to help you get back on track. So we can't practice sovereignty until we are on firm ground with who we are. So that's a foundational thing here at Pan Society. And the first thing I want to say about that is that when you ask people who they are, they often tell you what they do and you are not who you what you do. You're not your roles. Um, today, you might be a doctor, sister, or cook. But when you quit your job, if your sibling dies and you stop cooking for others, you don't disappear. You still exist outside of your roles. 
And if you identify with your roles, it becomes really easy to lose yourself at retirement or when those roles end. And that can be really stressful if you try to pull, put all your energy into that and making that a great image and, you know, trying to bolster that up and saying this is, this is who I am. Another thing about responding with, you know, who am I with your job is that it's kind of uh, classist. Let me say classist. Because it's a way of sizing up, do I want to spend time with you? And this is something that we do from the time we're little. We're always judging people and, and deciding where we are in the hierarchy. So if I meet somebody who's a lawyer, like, okay, you make the cut. Unless I'm, unless I'm classist and then I'm like, oh, you know, you're too hoity-toity for me. I can't hang out with you. Or something or else I have some other reason um, not to like lawyers. But it's kind of a high profile. If I like high profile people, then I want you to be a high profile person. And then I decide, you know, whether or not we go together, which is total bullcrap. <laughs> so how do I know um, that you even like doing what you do? So maybe your work is not a reflection of you. Maybe you really want to be a potter. Maybe you'd really like to be a farmer. So knowing what you do is not really all that useful. So I wouldn't uh, throw that out there. And and you know what? And too, they have whenever you do a training, they they ask you like, what's your profession? Which gets to me. I hate those things. I hate when they do that. You know, tell me something about yourself. Oh, well, I do this. Duh, 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 duh. Who cares? You know, unless there's some foundation for why that matters, I really just hate that question. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, it's about status. So the whole job thing. What I mean is I might put a lot of effort into being a high-profile model. And if my status isn't that great, my pictures aren't amazing, and my phone isn't ringing off the hook, maybe I just feel unworthy. And that's really not a great way to assess my worth or anybody else's worth. So I wouldn't do that. Focus on your values, your relationships, how you show up and things like that when thinking about who you are. And I know we can't ever really know ourselves. Our eyes look outward, so we can only see who we are as it's reflected back to us in other people's eyes, the things they say about us, the things we produce. But we can also focus on how we feel, and that's internal. You know the body doesn't lie, and that's our truth. So if we're in alignment with our integrity, we will present a true picture of what's within. Does that make sense? So here are some ways to figure out who we are. One of my favorites is Myers-Briggs. And I know there's people who don't like Myers-Briggs. You can fast forward if it's not you or listen and maybe you'll hear something new that you hadn't thought of before. It happens. So Myers-Briggs is a personality test that looks at our cognitive function. And there are 16 different types, and it looks at eight different dimensions. So in each dimension, you could be one or the other. And the first one is introvert or extrovert. Most of us know if we're an introvert or an extrovert, but there's some confusion because I hear lots of people say I'm an introverted extrovert, I'm an extroverted introvert. And really, so all of these things occur on a continuum. You could be in the 49%, 51% range. Most of us, though, are solidly introverted or extroverted. And the difference is, is whether you recharge alone, if you do, you're an introvert, or with people. And if you do recharge with people, you're an extrovert. So extroverts are outgoing, active. They tend to feel ease at ease with people, so they're more social. 
Um, like I said, they get energized by being out with people, interested in the breadth of experiences, and discover what they think and feel by talking and doing. So this is a very masculine energy, and they act first and perhaps reflect on it later. Introvert is pretty much the opposite. So they're, they tend to be quiet. They're not always quiet. I'm an introvert. I'm blabbing away right now. Um, <laughs> but if you saw me, like, in a group, I'm probably not doing this. Um, anyway, we tend to be quiet, reflective, so we're listening and prefer relating one-on-one. We get energized by being alone. Uh, we're interested in the depth of experiences, and we discover what we think and feel by processing information internally, so not necessarily blabbing. And we reflect first and then act, usually. So part of that has to do with maturity. Anybody can be impulsive. Um, so you probably have a sense now if you're introverted or extroverted, so that's the I or E. And the next dimension is sensing or intuitive, so it's S or N. And this is about how people take in or perceive information. The sensates rely on information obtained directly through their five senses. That's why they're called sensates. They're practical down to earth, live in the present, are interested in what is at hand more than future possibilities, and usually work in a step-by-step established way, usually paying attention to details. To me, that's the clincher. Are you a big picture person or are you a detailed person? But there is more to it than that. Ends are intuitives, and they obtain information through their sixth sense or hunches, Insights, inspirations, they're interested in possibilities, use their imagination and vision, like doing things in new ways, and works in bursts of energy, and like I said, big picture, and tend to ignore details. Now, intuitive is not the same thing as empath, even though those are kind of close things, so I would not confuse that. You can be empathic and sensing. Totally different thing. Uh, The next uh, dimension is thinker or feeler, and um, so this one is about how you come to conclusions and make decisions, and thinkers use logic and analysis to make decisions. They value principles, laws, and procedures. They tend to be impersonal, objective, and critical, so lots of people might see thinkers as cold, where feelers are warm. And feelers filter information through their personal values. They value harmony, are supportive and empathic, thrive on praise, and are sensitive to criticism. That's kind of, these are totally different, but if you're kind of on the fence, oh, I do both, then think about the critical thing. Feelers are sensitive to criticism. Thinkers like critical thinking. And feelers can get, when these two come together, the feelers can get their feelings hurt because the thinkers tend to be, now, when you say critical, you're going to think like steady, steady. I don't mean that. I mean, like, what are the details? Like, um, constructive criticism, that's what we're talking about. Or critical thinkers, not um, nasty and hurtful. I hope that that distinction is clear. Um, the next Myers-Briggs um, Dimension is judging or perceiving. So judges make quick value decisions using um, thinking or feeling to come to closure. Perceivers put off closure. Um, so that's the big difference between these two. So judges are relatively structured and efficient. They're, they use planning and organizing. They make lists. They love checklists. 
They push for decisions quickly to get to that space of closure. And perceivers are adaptable, flexible, open, spontaneous, that kind of thing. They like to keep their options open, exploring possibilities. So they're going to be more slow in um, making decisions, and, and some people can say that they're indecisive. So everything, again, is on a continuum. You might have somebody who's just a wee bit indecisive, who's a P, or you can have somebody who will delay for a year before making the decision who's a P. So, yeah. Um, Myers-Briggs is one of these things that can change over time because it's about your cognitive ability. So the more education you have, the more travel you do, the more cultures you're exposed to, all of these things and, and lots more can change the way that you think. So your Myers-Briggs can change. Or if you're in a different social situation, so you go to a different job and you have to adapt to that environment, that can change the way that you think too because you have to. So it's flexible. Um, usually introvert, extrovert doesn't change, um, but you might slide towards the middle on that one if you have to. Um, so the next one that I like, the next test that I like is called the Enneagram, also a personality test. Both of these are available free online. You could just type Myers-Briggs test free or Enneagram free test. They also have paid versions. The paid versions are going to be more accurate. But what I would do is take two free ones and see if they jive. If they do, you know that you've got a good result. If they don't, take a third one and see what that one says and, come, you know, figure it out. So with the Enneagram, uh, Myers-Briggs is like this too. It's um, the... There are nine pieces of a pie, let's say. All the pieces have the same ingredients, so they all have salt, sugar, flour, eggs, but each piece has a different concentration of ingredients. So there's not one that's better than the other. It's just this is the, the concentration of energy that you have. With Enneagram, it's about uh, where you go under stress. So different people learn how to cope with different uh strategies, and the type one copes by, through their sense of justice, morality, what's right, ethics, that kind of thing. So they're the do the right thing people. Um, two is motivated by relationships, and they need to be loved and valued. So they tend to be very good caretakers and tend to be really tuned in to the people around them and their needs, so much so that they can neglect their own. Threes, uh are interested in being productive, succeeding, avoiding failure. And this is how, uh, so it's not only where do we go under stress, but it's how do we avoid pain. So threes tend to be uh, successful, pretty, look good. Fours are motivated by the desire to be understood. They want to feel. Uh, they are interested in pondering the meaning of life avoiding being ordinary. These are the artists and creators of the group. These kinds of things are really important to know if you're in a manager position or if you're a mother and you have to uh, work with other people because like the four, let's say that the four comes in and is down and depressed and you're just like, oh, let's just cheer you up. The four is probably going to get upset because the four likes to feel what they feel. They don't want to be talked out of a good uh, a downtime. And it's more important to be honest and, and stand in integrity than to be fake and happy. So if you know this about a four, then, you, you know, the approach is going to be different, whereas a seven wants to avoid that. They like adventure, enjoyment, 
avoiding suffering and pain and wants to be taken out of that. So you see the difference and why it's important to know these kinds of things? The five wants to know and understand things, so they cope with uh, or cope by being self-sufficient, and they want to avoid looking foolish. So these are the book people, bookish people, and they tend to be the most standoffish, and they can feel really uh, uncomfortable with other people just because they don't spend a lot of time doing social stuff. They're in their heads a lot. Sixes are motivated by security. These are the ones that are most likely to have had a disruptive childhood and they want to avoid danger. And in their avoiding danger, they may run and confront it, or they may run from it. And they could flip-flop and back and forth and do the same. So these ones, are, sixes, can be hard to classify because they can look so different from each other. And sevens, I already talked about, these are the adventurers. Um, these are the ones that they tend to be pretty shallow because if you go too deep, there's always going to be some pain under there, and they don't want to do that. Eights tend to be, I call them bulldozers. I mean that affectionately. They are very self-reliant, powerful people. They avoid feeling weak or dependent, but have a um, risk of being addicts. And they will bulldoze through anything. They'll just plow right on through. That's how they get things done. And nine is the peacemaker. They avoid conflict, the mediators. They're just, you know, why can't we get along types? So every single one of these has high side and a low side. So there's no bad, bad numbers. There's just um, and any energy can be expressed either positively or negatively. I mean, fire can be used as a purifier or fire can be a destroyer. It's the same way. Each one of these has high and low. So, for example, the two, these are the ones I said were the relational ones, um, at their best, they're loving, caring, adaptable, insightful, generous, enthusiastic, and tuned into how people feel. All that sounds really great, right? Um, at their worst, though, they're martyr-like, indirect, manipulative, possessive, hysterical, over-accommodating, and overly demonstrative. So you probably don't want to hang out with the two on a bad day, right? <laughs> but if you know your type, then it kind of gives you a checklist, a bullet point, a target to hit. So if I'm a two and I'm 50-50 of all those things that I just named and I really don't like my manipulative side, so I just shine the light on that, be like, ooh, I'm doing that again. Ooh, I'm being indirect again. Maybe I should just be more caring or loving or direct. Or That's kind of what it's good for. And when you um, get to be the high side of, of your natural energy, the place that you go by default, then you'll start to just take on the characteristics of the whole pie. So that was me when I first took the Enneagram. Um, it's dead in the center. Had some high, some low. Um, and then I just kind of worked to make my strengths stronger. And now I really don't go to the low side too much. And it, you, a person who didn't know me would have a hard time picking out my, my type, I think. Because um, I really don't look like my number anymore which is kind of how I would use the Enneagram if I was going to figure out who I am. It's just kind of being, but before you can be the whole pie, you have to be a piece because it's just too big of a chunk to deal with. So Enneagram is about how you deal with conflict or how you learn to be because of the stress that you endured when you were young and also has to do with uh, birth order. And we all have stress, so it doesn't mean your family was dysfunctional necessarily. It's just a reflection of your go-to strategies. It's, 
a thing of how you do anything is how you do everything, okay? So um, the next one is your astrology. There's a ton to astrology. I think it um, uh, is a really good thing to know. So I'm not going to get into that because I think it's, it's, it's such a cool thing that it deserves its own show. Um, but what I will touch on, some really important things to know, and you could just pop this in, again, a free thing online, prenatal chart, Google that, and you're going to need to know your birth date, birthplace, and birth time. You're going to get sun, moon, and rising. So I wouldn't say that those are the most important things to know, but they are important things to know. So the moon is going to be, I mean, sorry, the rising is going to be the face that you show the world. So when people meet you, this is going to be what they see. Your sun is your true face. So this is the part that, that's beneath the mask. And your moon is your heart. It is what, what you want. But it's about your family, your mom, your emotional needs. I think if, if you can find those things out and use those as a way to figure out who you are and what you want in life, that's going to help clarify a bunch of crap. So let's say that you were brought up to think that you should be a doctor and you get this information and it's and you find out, you know what? Ooh, I'm pretty squishy inside. I really dig um, intimacy and relationships and um, and things like uh, art, poetry, music really inspire me. I'm not saying that you couldn't do that as a doctor, but that's probably not going to be where your heart lies. <laughs> so that's kind of what I mean. You know, it's going to help you to make choices in life. It can also help you to figure out um, who the best partner will be. Now, I know that there's uh, people who say, oh, this matches, this doesn't match. You can be, if you're a healthy person, you can match with anybody. I wouldn't say, oh, fire and water don't mix. I've been uh, with fire and it worked really, really well. But if you have certain energies that are too much of a stretch for you, too much of a clash, then that can help to highlight that as well. Um, another thing that can help you figure out who you are is numerology. So there's all kinds of numbers that you can get by looking at your birth date, your name, this kind of thing. Um, and they're all important. Um, I think the most important, though, is just kind of a start place to start is going to be your uh, life path number. And the numbers have the same meaning regardless of where you put them. It's You can use numerology in so many things. So it's a really useful thing to learn. It's really helpful with tarot cards if you are into that. And so if your life path is a one, this is the energy of strong will, new beginnings, positivity, stuff like that, um, physical action, mental action, and um, twos. So the one is the solo, two. You have two people, relationships. That's the beginning of something different than the solo. It's, you know, duality. It's a choice. Mm, partnerships, communication, things like that, if that's your your number. Threes, three's a magic number. So three has to do with magic, intuition, fecundity, which is the ability to reproduce. Um, advantage, versatility, creativity, that kind of stuff. And just like the three in the Enneagram, these people tend to be successful. Um, 
fours actually doesn't go with the Enneagram four. Fours have to do with stability, being grounded, um, calmness, uh, security kind of thing. It's it's the kind of energy of, of persistence and endurance. It's not real sexy, but it's very stable. Five is just the opposite. So five is, is change. Five is the number of travel, adventure, motion, instability, unpredictability, that kind of stuff, which we need so that we don't stay boring or stuck. So if you're a five, you're probably a mover and a shaker. Always changing, lacks versatility, that kind of thing. Six has to do with harmony, balance, sincerity, love, truth, those kinds of things. Um, Diplomacy, sensitivity. So that could be your energy. Sevens are also magic numbers. They deal with esoteric, um, scholarly things, mysterious things, active imagination, manifesting, that kind of thing. Eight is a number of success, business, wealth, continuation, cycles, that kind of stuff. Um, Repetition, cycles, yeah, momentum. Nine is the number of completion, so it's the end, attainment, satisfaction, accomplishment, um, intellectual power, inventiveness, stuff like that, and their endings. So if you look at that in partnerships, if you have a one who's at the beginning and a nine who's at the end, they're probably in real different phases of your life. So just kind of knowing just little bullet points, key keywords to numerology, um, you can know a lot about different things. You can, you know, is, is it a house? So you look at the house number, and um, I'm getting off track here. I'm talking about who am I? <laughs> let's go back to that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's go to values. <laughs> uh, values, I've done some podcasts on values. I've done one on um, honesty. I've done one on uh, hospitality. Um, so those those are kinds of things that we have uh, in values. And the Pan Society values are respect, love, relationship, trust, honesty, integrity, courage, generosity, gratitude, humility, and reciprocity. I hope those are yours too. If you know your values, then that's a whole lot easier to stick to than rules because things change. We're always in this cycle of, uh, the wheel of life, so beginnings, maturity, decline, endings, um, gestation, and things are not always the same depending upon situations. And so, so for example, a real easy one is, is thou shall not kill. Makes sense. Nobody wants to be a murderer, right? But everything consumes something to survive. So we're all killing something. Even if you just look at it as breathing, we're killing oxygen cells or oxygen molecules to create carbon dioxide. That's part of the process is that transformation of bringing something in, something else comes out. So if in a values things we still don't want to kill, but because it's necessary, we figure out ways of doing that to survive um, in a way that honors other life. So you might um, give gratitude and honor the thing that's giving its life before you eat it. You might consider that before you take and kill things frivolously. So you don't waste things, things like that, you know. 
Um, don't lie is a great idea. We value honesty. But if you were asked by the Gestapo, you know, about something that was going to lead to somebody else's death, would you lie? If you would, I wouldn't blame you. So I'm not saying lie for silly reasons, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to get in trouble. If you, so the more uh, self-reliant you are, the more integrity you have, the less likely you're going to lie, the less, the fewer reasons that you have to lie. Because let's say that I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to lose your respect. That's going to be true regardless. But if I have integrity and if I have resources, I have self-esteem, then you know what? I'm going to be like, you know, I can, I can deal with it. I can deal with whatever the reaction is. It's cool. You know, you're sovereign. You can have your, your beliefs. I'm sovereign. It's going to be all right. So, you know, everybody's rules are not going to be the same. Everybody's values are not the same. I would hope that people don't lie. I would hope that people don't murder. Because we all have to share this world, and we want it to be pleasant for everybody. So that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but, I'll, no, I will say something else. So when you go against your values, it's often because two or more values are in conflict. So most people aren't just uh, aren't just running around just being impulsive and, and doing the anarchy thing. Um, because we want to be in alignment with ourselves. It doesn't feel good to to violate your values. So if it happens, and you find yourself violating your values, then see if you can find a way to make those values run um, in alignment with each other. Because it, it might just be it's I'm not creative enough to see my options. So those things can be tweaked. So it's important to know who you are. Your life's a gift to life. And without you shining in your greatness, you cheat yourself and the rest of creation of all the beautiful things you are. And we need you to bring your gifts to the world and shine. So maybe you became lost to survive. Lots of people do. But now it's your time to find yourself. So just look inside. Look into that little light right there in your solar plexus. If you look hard enough, you will see it. You will feel it. And just let it shine. The more you let it shine, the more that it will shine. So don't let other people tell you who you are by how they respond to you. Because it's a two-way street. If I'm projecting um, I'm not worthy, people are going to see that and they're going to reflect it back to me, which means makes me internalize it and I project it even more. So if people are not responding to you the way that you see yourself, stand in your power. Give them something else to look at. Everybody's not going to see it because we're all, we all have our different lenses. But stand in your power anyway. So thanks for joining us for this edition of Pan Society Radio. I hope that that helps with practicing sovereignty. I'm so grateful for you all being here and tuning in. Hope you're having a fabulous whatever you're having today. Sunny day. I've, I've got a little sunshine, finally. Um, and <laughs> see you all next week. Ciao. 